0: chance by chance this is an interview-based podcast serving young creators and entrepreneurs as they navigate the professional field by initiating timely conversations with established artists scientists innovators educators you name it i'm opening the door for honest and productive work to be done equipping youth with the tools mental sets and resources to succeed You can find and subscribe to the show on iTunes. I'm currently working on getting it to some more podcast platforms. Also find me at patreon.com forward slash chance by chance. All of the support in leaving a review, donating, anything. It all helps me focus more time and attention toward this podcast and seeing where it could go. I've got high hopes. Today, I'm talking to Michelle Hernick. She's bringing us a second look at Redbird Theatre. She's the company's managing director, working alongside artistic director and co-founder, Genevieve Bennett. I spoke to Genevieve in episode 2 of the podcast. Her and I dug into values and goals of the company that I didn't necessarily want to reiterate verbatim here. So, if you haven't already, I would definitely recommend giving that a listen before hearing doing round 2 with Redbird Theater. Michelle and I do cover working at the now closed Bedlam Lower Town and her ultimate decision to leave. We talk about meditation, travel, how she vets new opportunities. Michelle shares teachings from her time at the Carlson School of Management where she received her bachelor's degree in entrepreneurial management. Of course, we take flight exploring Redbird's formation, takeaways from the first year and much more. Michelle also serves as the executive assistant to the director of St. Paul Conservatory for Performing Artists, Callie Jacobs. And, get this, Michelle graduated from that same school about five years prior. I find that last point endlessly fascinating, and it was a big part of my eagerness to get Michelle on the show. She was great. You're all great listeners. Thank you for listening. Enjoy this one. Michelle Hernick. All right, hey Michelle. Hi. Thanks for being on the podcast. Well,
1: thank you for having me.
0: We're sitting here at Black Dog in Lower Town, and right down the street is Bedlam, which recently closed. And I know that you had had some pretty extensive interactions with the uh, the people there, w- working there. Do you mind just telling us about that sure. experience?
1: Yeah, you know, it's very coincidental because before I had my interview there, before the Lower Town Space had opened in 2014, <laughs> I had a glass of wine here <laughs> because I was so nervous about my interview. At Black Dog? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just before I had gone in. Uh, uh, I interviewed for the position there of the, the venue director. Okay. Um, so it would be basically one of the people in charge of a lot of the logistical things that happen in the space Um, and the the concept for the lower lower town bedlam was to have performance art happening all the time with this added bonus of it's kind of like a coffee shop it's got a bar atmosphere there's really great food you can sit and have your business lunch there while listening to the a group of um, classical musicians play. Hmm. Um, Or you could be there at night and there would be a a feature of tons of different um, rap artists from the community and crazy light show and specialty cocktails. And so I was, as somebody that's been involved in the performing arts for a while, I would say, um, I I was really (laughs) interested in the idea of it. And I had known Bethlehem Space in Minneapolis when I was in high school and then and then in college because it was kind of it was a hot spot over there on the West Bank oh yeah and, and they do a lot of really amazing work and bring together a lot of different types of people from communities so I was interested in the position and knew a handful of people that had already worked with Bedlam and um I was hired on as the assistant I mean director there to um Lucas Koski, who kind of helped birth this space and I worked with a handful of people there, Andrew Lee Dolan, Tio Aiken, Alana Horton, um, John Stites, who does the sound, really, really amazing people. And we sort of helped that vision come to life down mm. here in Lower Town as uh, as a spot that people, especially in this neighborhood, wanted to come to and felt safe in and knew that they could experience something something new every day. Oh, I suppose it was just out of my own, just my own curiosity in in the project. I knew that they had spoken with some representatives from the city. It was a really big push to get a space like that here in Lowertown Town because mm-hmm. this was starting to to bustle as 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 a neighborhood um, in downtown St. Paul. So to bring Bedlam, which had lost its spot um, over in Minneapolis because people in, in that community had moved into the space that they were renting. They were offered this spot here right off the light rail that had just opened up and could be bringing people in and there was going to be a stadium coming in so there was a a lot of excitement and the project, I think, was a little greater than they had initially expected. When they saw the space, they knew they had wanted to turn it into a restaurant. It was formerly a, a bar, Innuendo, a former, I can't remember what was in the front of it, but there was like a, a cafe, restaurant-y kind of thing in the front. And then in the back, it was this this nightclub, this hmm. a nightclub called Innuendo. And so it had the capabilities of a bar. There was space for kegs and, and uh, general storage, but they wanted to turn it into a restaurant. Um, so all of these things that they had to put into place, this HVAC system, uh, rebuilding kind of the inside so that it could accommodate a kitchen space, ended up sucking up a lot, a lot of money. Uh, you know, you can't you can't have a spot that functions as all these things if it's not up to code on all those things. Mm-hmm. So there, it was a combination of this project getting pushed forward and the light rail happening so that it could coincide with the opening that sort of, I think, made... Lower town grow grow quickly but not the people weren't there. They weren't the people weren't there yet. The light rail had just opened up. This Ye- neighborhood hadn't quite become what it is now where there's people right. walking around the street all the time. Right. So had it had it been put into place maybe a little later, things would have coincided really nicely because there was some really incredible work that got done there. I mean I can't speak highly enough about the time that I spent there, those people are my family. We were, people were a hundred percent invested in making whatever project had come in that night work to the best of its ability. How can we best mold this space to fit what kind of audience we have? If it's if we're doing dinner and then we have a rock show, we need to make sure we clear those tables to get that mosh pit happening. Like <laughs> little things that. I didn't think about logistically until I worked somewhere like that. And I was there for about a year and a half.
0: And that space opened in 2014, right? Which is the same year you came on. Was there a period of preparation... You were there before the space opened, or did you just join on and you, you were doing shows right away? Before
1: about a, uh, They held the interviews a few months before the space opened, and I had a previous position. I was actually still down. I can't seem to get away from St. Paul. I love it so much. I was working with uh, this group called the Exhibits Development Group. They curate museum exhibitions. Um, they actually have, if you are a fan of Downton Abbey, they brought one of their exhibitions to MoA, it's there right now. It's a bunch of the costumes that people have worn, so they kind of Whoa. acted like a, yeah, they're like a broker of people that would design exhibits, and then they would help sell them to places like, uh, I mean, like anywhere, like Pacific Science Center and and MoA, I guess, or the Science Museum. What
0: was your role there?
1: I was I was like client support, and then I did some sales work. So okay, I helped negotiate some of the some of the contracts. And, on there and just made calls and mail merging, <laughs> but I so I'd already been down here, and I w- I wanted to make sure that I you know give your two weeks and appropriate about heading out. They knew it wasn't. They knew I was still performing arts, but mm-hmm. I think it tied in well with with talking to people about art and why it was important and science and art have. I could go on about that forever. Uh,
0: science and art. Science
1: and art. Yeah, just that it's this idea of. Being comfortable in the unknown, I think that people kind of forget that science is also about questioning so much more than it is about knowing. Definitely. And I feel like art is very similar in that regard. So any time that I can, you know, get your hands messy in each of them. Yeah. Because and it's, it's an important lesson to remember because it's hard. We want to know everything. Right. But you can't.
0: And and culturally speaking, I think art and science are the two things that are continually moving forward because there's the aspect of discovery and self-reflection especially in the arts to touch on the arts and performing I'm really curious how you ended up as the managing director of Redbird for example because you you do perform and that's where you had the most of your background coming up right
1: yeah I mean it's why I ended up at The St. Paul Conservatory, for example, Um, as a young person, very young person, I got enrolled. I mean, if we want to start at the beginning, my parents, I have way too much energy, and I was just a drama queen, and it was like, how do we turn this into something where it's not just this jittery little kid? So they would send me to theater camps, and I ended up getting involved with Rosetown Playhouse, which is uh, the community theater in Roseville where I grew up, and... Uh, coincidentally now work with some of those people that were were there that I've known for I mean decades now oh, makes me feel old <laughs> um, so I got involved in community theater first and then I, I knew I didn't want to go to my public high school I didn't feel like it was giving me the sense of the world that I wanted so my mom found SPCPA online and it was coincidentally the first year that it opened so
0: perfect. I
1: gave it a <laughs> shot and it's it's so great Being, I don't, I, I mean, I feel like I can speak for anybody that's gone there. The connections that you make from the people who are your instructors that you're working with and your classmates are just mind blowing. Hmm. I wouldn't have ended up doing as much performance had I not gone to this school, and I I got opportunities at Stages Theater Company. There was a, uh, a group of upperclassmen that wrote. A musical that ended up in the New York Fringe Festival that I went there with the summer after my sophomore year. And Incredible. Well, I played Anne Frank at Park Square for a little while so I, I did a lot of a lot of performance when I was in high school and then just I, don't, I feel like maybe I knew I knew going going into college that I wasn't going to pursue a BFA. Why? Well we had an instructor freshman year I was just thinking about this when you had told me you were gonna <laughs> skip from my past. Um, how, well, this instructor freshman year, he was there all four years. His name was David Doring, phenomenal actor, just a hilariously, hilariously great man. And he told us on one of the first days of class to be an actor, to make it, quote unquote, I guess as an actor, you need to be a hundred percent invested in in that. And of course, you know, you if you're not Fully committed in what you're doing, dived into the pond, both feet in, knowing that this is what you want to do, it's not going to realize itself in, in the world, because you wouldn't be putting it out there fully. Mm. And I thought about that as, like, a 14, 15-year-old, and thought, maybe I'm only closer to, like, 92%. Cause That's I
0: still really, pretty high up there. Well,
1: I just, for me, I, it's having someone literally say, huh, you need to be all in. I didn't feel like I could be. I there was so, there's so much insecurity in for, for me as like a who I am. It yeah. feels like there's a lot of insecurity in moving from thing to thing and being you're you're in you're within one project but you're thinking about and preparing to do the next one. There's so much overlap that has to happen and there's periods of no work and then there's periods of a lot of work and I didn't think at the time, that would be something that I I could handle. I needed more of a clear path, and it, I didn't think it wasn't necessarily in the performing arts. I knew that that will always, I, I have no choice. It's something I love so much that I will have to be a part of it always. So I started thinking at that point in time about other avenues and ways that I could be invested and in help people create work, because I saw all this beautiful work that was going on at, at the the theaters I was working with and, and here at the school with, mm-hmm. with young people just having a space to create and that that's what really became important to me is how can I help these wonderful people get their message to an audience what are what are all those steps in between and I've, I I um, wouldn't say that I'm type a necessarily but I do I like things structured so Going into something like business seemed like a reasonable choice for me because I would get kind of a well-rounded idea of all of the aspects that go into making a product or a service available to people. And while that isn't directly correlated to like arts administration, it seemed like an okay
0: Yeah, an it okay can be if, if you apply it. And, and you went to Carleton, right?
1: Carleton. Carleton. Yeah, it's the... Well, because there's the Carleton College. It's, like, further west of here, and then there's Carleton School of That's an important Management. distinction.
0: Carleton. Well,
1: it's everyone's senior year was kind of, like, making fun of me for choosing to go to the business school because there's... It's like a bunch of yuppies. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> just a, some, of, some of the kind of... The, some of the people that, uh, that you meet in majors like that come from... Affluent backgrounds and didn't choose to branch out or listen to other people, and mm. they're very set in how to think. And so it was sort of like, oh, you're going to business school after all these people are, you know, going to New York or right. wherever for for their BFA's. And I knew people going to the to the U of M for their BFA's too. So it was like, you're the
0: business. Kid. How, how did you handle the transition from your environment at SPCPA? Mm-hmm. To that new environment with this uh, this very different crowd, yeah. you know, questioning yeah. versus non-questioning.
1: I suppose that that's kind of. I don't know if I can say my experience was different from anyone else's who's going from high school to college because that that switches a lot. There's a lot more independence just in general. So so much freedom to kind of do whatever you want and for me it was one of the first times in my life i didn't feel like i had to be home at a certain time or (laughs) not i don't know not go out with certain people so i kind of felt like i could do whatever i wanted and you could
0: could in a a sense
1: i i chose to continue to surround myself with the people that did still question so while i and not saying that like the classes that I took weren't about questioning. We were constantly looking at case studies and trying to see here's examples of what people did. How what would you have done differently? What are the key things that they could have been looking for that they weren't? So there was still that that aspect of questioning hmm. and I don't don't know that it was mind-blowingly difficult because of that Hmm. but the cultural switch in feeling like okay now I'm an adult I need to really think about how I'm how I think about myself and maybe how other people think about me is not as important which is I always thought so much about how people viewed me Hmm. Or what kind of impression I was giving off, and was it the right one for the right situation? That felt that way all throughout high school. You're constantly anyone that tells you otherwise is joking, because I think even though there's a really great feel of collaboration at like at SBCPA, the the group of people that are there are so talented. I felt like I couldn't help but compare myself to other people hmm. maybe that's also why I didn't go into performing I didn't think I I didn't think I was good enough
0: the the competitive aspect yeah,
1: yeah. it was almost at times I just didn't even I didn't even think I wanted to, to like try to compete with these people because I was so in awe of how good they were and I wasn't Looking at what I could possibly do, right? If that makes sense. Yeah,
0: and I mean, I, I can definitely relate to that sentiment. And the more you know, the more people that I talk to, the more I realize everyone feels the <laughs> same way. In I know. I way. wish
1: I would have known that when I was like fourteen.
0: And, and it's, it's interesting <laughs> to me because you realized rather early on that you had a particular niche that you could fill, which is true of everyone. Yeah. Where you know, we we tend to all compete or think we need to compete for the same things Mm -hmm. when really if everyone chooses their own individual role it all it all comes together anyway Right, right
1: everyone has something to give and it's not it shouldn't be about who's better at what or what have you it's maybe this isn't even the right like you're a great singer this person's a great singer you weren't right for that role it's it's things like that but as a kid i guess as a kid if i would have called myself a kid when i was 15 i'd have gotten so mad <laughs> so, but when I was, when you're young, it's hard it's hard to see outside of who you are. We were talking about this earlier, just like that egocentric life mm-hmm. that you uh, that was shattered for me when I went to college. I guess I thought it was shattered for me when I went to high school and I definitely started to to question my own beliefs because I was seeing I was seeing the experience of so many other people come to light at at SPCPA that I would have never met ever if I had stayed in my suburb. Yeah. So it sort of started to, like, bubble then, but it's hard to get out of your own head. I think some people never do. Hmm.
0: Also, when we were talking before we started recording, <laughs> we, we touched on uh, on meditation. Mm-hmm. You say you're pretty avid at practicing.
1: I try to sit with myself for 5 to 10 minutes a day. And I usually end up finding that time at work. Right now, because there's no furniture in my office, it's kind of weird. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It's coming in two weeks. But it's a really big room, and so it's super empty, but it gets a lot of light. So sort of I found my space. Perfect. And it's not really about... I think I'm not quite at the point yet where I can meditate on things. It's more about just trying to clear my head. Yeah. I've seen how it affects the way I think throughout the day because it reminds me to breathe and i think i kind of not like nobody forgets to breathe you know it like gives us life but to to stop thinking about so many things at the same time when someone asks me a question i don't need to overanalyze it Hmm. which i just think i've been working on putting my brain on a platter in front of me and kind of Examining how it works so that I can better understand why I react to things the way I do. Right, right. So breathing—it's literally just taking the time to think, try to think about nothing, which is hard. I always un- inevitably end up thinking about something, but coming back to breathing,
0: coming for back, just
1: yeah, for just a little while, to hmm. help clear my head.
0: Speaking of of coming back, mm-hmm. I I know you did some traveling after college.
1: Yeah, I I, I did go to Paris for. A month. I actually missed walking for graduation because I, because why was I gonna walk for graduation when I could be in there? <laughs> it Priorities. was a lot of fun. It, um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I got to visit a lot of museums. I had some really great conversations with the people that were um, in my travel group, and I want to go back. I haven't been out of the country since then. I feel like I'm maybe not that avid of a traveler, but it was good to leave right after college. It was sort of a a reset button to remove myself from uh, an environment that I was very familiar with. I've Mm -hmm. lived in the Twin Cities my whole life and then went to school here for for high school and college. So to leave for even just a little while and somewhere that was very different culturally than I had experienced. And I don't know French, so (laughs) look. and oh, wow looking around at signs and not knowing really what anything meant was it made me really need to be a lot more self-aware than i feel like i i was
0: how did you start to integrate those sorts of lessons when you did come home
1: i had thought growing up that i there was like a certain path that people needed to take where you Went to college for a thing, and then you got a job, and then you stayed at that job, and maybe you moved up in that job, or you
0: the old narrative.
1: <laughs> it just, I don't know. I I was under the assumption that that was how things worked, and going to Paris and coming back here to this flow of life that I was familiar with, but now saw differently, reminded me that I don't need to have all the answers right now because, and I can't tell you why exactly, but it, I felt like. I had forgotten to celebrate all of the good things that I was doing. I was so busy pushing forward. I wasn't focusing on this is what I can do. I don't need to do this. Why don't I do what I can do, what I want to do, and not just what I think that I need to do. So it reminded me to take my time. I didn't, I just graduated. I don't, like, I don't need to find the perfect job forever right now. I was serving all through college and I just kind of Did that until I found something that sparked my interest. Working at that exhibit place, working at Bedlam, Hmm. coming back to SPCPA. Hmm. It it reminded me that I made my own safety net. I don't need to be afraid of trying things that I want to do. Because they can work out.
0: And how do you keep that sort of balance between not rushing, but also getting things done which you obviously do
1: I like getting things done <laughs> I, yeah well it's I think it's more unf- And I hate to admit this about myself but I think it's more that I I hate not having things done more than it is I like getting things done because <laughs> I'm very good at starting projects and sometimes it's it's difficult for me to finish the only reason I do is because I I can't stand that they're not done mm-hmm.
0: <laughs>
1: it's a rem- I just have to remind myself to not say yes to everything I don't like saying no.
0: You don't like saying no?
1: No, no, I don't. I, if there's something that I can do, why wouldn't I do it? Right. And someone's asking me for help? Like, of course, I'll be there. I, I can handle it. But then at what point is, am I am I sacrificing what I want to be doing because I felt like I should be doing this just because I can? Like, maybe somebody else could do that better, and they just haven't asked them. Right. I, I don't have it down to a science because I still work on it every day. It's like reminding myself to be cool it's things like meditating at work because I just need a minute to breathe to myself I don't know everybody's got their own way of dealing with things yeah
0: well for you let's Mm -hmm. say you're you've just meditated you're feeling pretty clear-headed so you're not out of sorts or anything like that and someone comes to you there's a project they want you to work on how do you filter that request
1: my time at business school helped me see things a little more pragmatically than i usually do it's a risk versus reward mentality so i guess i sort of go through that process based on like what i have going on certainly and then also not just what i have going on professionally but also personally Hmm. because there's times that i i push some of that to the side or I carry I often carry my work home with me, mm. mostly because the things that I work on are I'm really personally invested in them. So that line becomes sort of mushy because I'm maybe working with my friends on a project or obviously have really really close ties with people at SPCPA. Mm. So it's a matter of trying to just coordinate in my own head what my what I have to get done, how much time I have to complete it, and then that, like, the project itself, if someone's coming to me with a proposition, like Genevieve calls me in January and says, hey, I really want to start this theater company. Okay, well, the risk for that is great, because I've never been a managing director of anything before, but I'm looking at the reward. Like, Genevieve is such a fantastic artist and creates such beautiful, amazing things, and, helps bring these people together and do i think that there's a lot of small theater companies in the twin cities yeah it's awesome how can we compete with them is it about competing with them all of these like risky things that come in but the reward look at the art that we get to make and and the things that happen because of the relationships that we've we've helped mold in the little spaces that we've i don't know that's that's how
0: that's period (laughs) I, when, I, when I spoke to Genevieve, she said mm-hmm. that she she approached you with the idea for yeah. a theater company. <laughs>
1: so at the time when I was working at Bedlam, I'd gotten a, an email from Brian Goranson mm-hmm. um, at SBCPA asking if I would like to come and speak to uh, speak on a panel of, of former graduates from the school about our experiences after high school and to the to the senior class at SBCPA, and I had gone in and. Gosh, that was great. I loved that. Because I love seeing people that I've gone to school with. Because they're just such beautiful people. They're doing such great things. and So I almost didn't even want to talk. I wanted to sit in the audience and listen to (laughs) them. But I, um, I don't know if Genevieve and I really been, and obviously not as in touch as we are now, but, you know, you follow everybody's work and whatnot, but right. I graduated four, four or five years before that. I didn't really come and hoe down at, like, the J-Term dance or anything, <laughs> <laughs> so it had been a while since we'd seen each other, but I talked a lot about working at Bedlam and just, like, the challenges of being there and how I, kind of the same things that you were asking me, how I got to that point from being a performer to wanting to be an administrator, and she approached me after that, it's, I guess she likes to say that she put a bug in my ear, which is frankly exactly how it went down. Like, hey, I'm thinking about starting a theater company and I'll probably be in touch with you, you know, later down the road, because my kids are still little. And later down the road, it ended up being a few months. <laughs> <Right>. She gave <laughs> me a call and I couldn't say, I mean, the reward is too great for me. Because, Like I said, I can't not be involved in the performing arts and I didn't get a lot of that when I was in college other than the people I was hanging out with and the shows I was going to see yeah so I wanted I wanted it
0: and, still. and what was the launching off point there? Because with Bedlam, it was already an established theater in the cities mm-hmm. that was moving to a new location. Mm-hmm. But to, I mean, start an entirely new company from yeah. scratch—how how did you and Genevieve go about that?
1: Well, we're still going about it. True, true. <laughs> I wish I could say it was all like beautifully wrapped in a bow. But that's the fun part—is that we're like we're still creating it. She knew she wanted to do a show. Well, there were sort of a lot of things that came into place. I mean, A, Genevieve wanting wanting to do this. And her she'd been thinking about it for so long. And so when we finally did meet, it was like, here's all these things that are for this company that I've been thinking about for so long. So a lot of that groundwork was right, right there, there because she had just been she'd been she'd essentially been working on it for I don't even know how many years. I mean, probably a long very very long time. And then there was this this thing that they do at the Southern called ArtShare, the ArtShare program, which is essentially like a a Netflix for theater of sorts. You pay a monthly fee, you're able to see all of these different companies, you know, 20 some companies that the Southern is bringing in and sort of curating their season with these companies and we saw this grant, the arts activities grant through um, the Metropolitan Regional Arts Council. That we thought, hey, why don't we just why don't we just try? Why don't we just see if this is if this seems like because it felt like the right time. And hmm. even though we didn't know exactly what we were doing, I am. a firm believer in doing it. Hmm. Like doing it is I, I like to learn on my feet. I just like to try things out. I don't think you can You could probably read every book in the world and on I don't know like gardening and until you actually take a plant from a seed to growth and watch all those things that could happen you're never going to know how. So why not try to start a company? Why not try to start a theater company? Especially with one that's got such a great vision that she had conceptualized over time and and crafted and thought about and, and in this wonderful community where people love to see art and there's always art going on and people are like yes, fuck yeah, art, oh my god yes, <laughs> Minneapolis <laughs> we love it. It, it yeah, it felt like the right time so we got the grant and then we got into the art chair and we were like okay I guess we're doing it and Damon who was the executive director of the Southern at the time, we didn't have a fiscal sponsor. There, There's sorts of things that legally that come into play when you're founding an organization. You need a tax code for people to donate money or Mm. to be able to make purchases for your company. Mm. So having uh, Springboard for the Arts up here does that for a lot of small, they do that for a lot of small companies um, that are just starting out or not, they don't wanna be as big and they fiscally sponsor them. So they help them with all of these crazy non-profit tax codes and uh and things like that and and damon was great enough to to help us with that and so we have we're we're fiscally sponsored by the southern right now and able to all these little pieces just came right into place and she knew exactly who she wanted to be in the show and we held auditions for the parts that we didn't have and it sounds a lot easier looking back than it actually was because there were (laughs) We didn't have anything else to base this off of other than like a conceptual idea of what we thought our budget would be and that changed not dramatically but it certainly changed over the course of when we were working. Okay we can't spend that much on the set anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay wow these equity actors <laughs> are so expensive to hire. Just things like that and now dude, I feel like because we took the leap it's gonna, it's, we have a better idea of where we want it to go and how it can go this year and in in following years what did
0: you learn in this last year
1: um that we it's a lot of work for just two women (laughs) (laughs) um definitely that i think i didn't learn it but i was reaffirmed in how great the community is around here um, especially with the people that we worked with I learned a lot about being diligent, like keeping up with small tasks. Hmm. I mean, I do that for my job. I've done that for jobs for a very long time. Like the mundane things, like your checks and balances sort of stuff. Keeping ahead of the game on that for for our company when when we would have unexpected surprises. Like the whole... I I had never hired on equity actors before. I didn't even know what the process was for that. So having to make the phone calls and <laughs> and ask the right questions and ask a lot of the questions, I learned to ask questions. I like to think that I have all the answers, but it's not true. <laughs> it's good to remember to ask the questions. It goes back to that art and science thing. Like we, it's comfortable to stay stagnant in what we know, but. like we could have put on a subpar production with what both of us knew but we chose to go further and figure out the best way to to do things we not based on our own knowledge per se, but you ask people for advice, they'll give it to you. They want to help you. Hmm. So uh, being able to ask for advice, maybe that's something I really learned.
0: Being able to ask for advice. Yeah,
1: and staying on top of things. Not that I didn't know that, but it was it's a different kind of staying on top of things when it's just, you're the only one watching everything.
0: What would you say to young artists hmm. that have ideas for projects or projects already in the works? It... it is clear to say ask for advice ask for help but who do you go to for me I'm I'm just starting to I mean through this podcast for one thing ask for what I need for the help Mm -hmm. that I need through the you know through the questions that I that I pose in what way can people start to enact that just on a a practical level
1: I think Talking about what you're working on is very important. Not only because you develop the idea better the more that you talk about it. It's like teaching someone, uh, teaching someone anything will help you learn. Because you're learning a new way to explain things, because every person learns differently. So if you're talking about the work that you're doing, or the work that you want to be doing, or the project, or the service, or whatever it is that you want to be providing, the more you, the more you're putting it out into the world. It sounds like this. It's like all like the secret and stuff. But <laughs> I, I, swear, I've seen it work. Hmm. I've seen, like Brian, as a great example. It was like, oh, we want a really cool space for our instrumental students. Oh, the ham building's open. Hey. Because it's just, the more that you envision the reality where that thing that you're working on exists, the clearer picture you have of what you want, you sort of like find your own way by wanting it to come to life. So talking with people, because eventually someone else, if you're excited about it, they're going to talk to somebody else about it, who might end up coming to talk to you about it. And then they know somebody that is like, hey, well, we can fiscally sponsor your company or blah, blah, blah. Like, you find avenues, but you have to share that with Hmm. people. And sometimes it's hard because... Like, I'm really self-conscious about the things that I work on, and I think it's great to have Genevieve there, because she's... Well, were you going to ask me a question about that?
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, why is that? If you...
1: I don't feel like I have as much experience as other people do. But you
0: feel passionate about the work.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: Then why be self-conscious? Which is not to say that I'm not self-conscious. Well,
1: because I (laughs) want to be able to live up to that image that I have in my head of things. That's where this anxiety comes back into play, is, is there, there is an image that I, there's a vision of what I want to do for the world, and what I want to do for myself, and I'm insecure because I have that expectation, hmm. but I can't shake it. It's like, it's a human mentality, I think, you know, hmm. and if you don't have the bar that you set, then you don't, you don't work towards it. I get disappointed if I'm not if I have an idea of something and it doesn't work out the way that I, I thought it would. But then it could still be a success, you know? It could still be something really awesome. Like the events that I helped with at Bedlam were off the chain. And people would tell us that all the time, like, "We can't even um, I can't believe a space like this exists. I can't believe you're you have all these people in here and nobody's complaining. Like, like how are you guys doing this?" That Which is so cool. But at the same time, I'm thinking, oh, we should have moved the candles off those tables earlier. Like, oh, I wonder how the bathrooms are looking. Like, do we, do we need to restock for the next flow of people? It's all this stuff that, like, if it didn't go exactly how I thought it was going to go, it's not quite perfect and so then i'm I'm self self conscious about it I'm, i get insecure about it hmm. cuz i have the the vision of what i want it to be that's hmm. maybe the best way i can explain it yeah and it's not like that's that is like hindering my ability to do things i honestly think it helps me plan a little better in the future when i when i don't meet those expectations how it's so? like well it's like how can i okay, we uh, things turned out this way and I was hoping they would turn out this way. Um, here's all that stuff in between. How can I... It's not like making it better necessarily, but if I knew something could have gone differently, I'm going to make sure that the next time that I get presented with that situation that I'm ready for it. Because there's always, there's always things you can't prepare for. But every time that you go through that, you're better prepared for it next time.
0: Absolutely. And, and while you can't necessarily prepare for every possible outcome you can prepare yourself in such a way that you are ready for the unknown or right. at least to, more so than you would be it. otherwise to navigate that's, yeah. a, that's a good word yeah that's a good word this this really uh harkens back to something that genevieve said
1: <laughs> yeah we spend a lot of time together <laughs> that yeah, I, figured, me. I figured
0: about uh, about not Attaching to a particular outcome, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, and that being yep. said, Talk g-
1: about something g- to meditate on.
0: Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> can. I just want to hear a little, bit, a little bit about your relationship with Genevieve. I mean, your partners, mm-hmm. and at the same time, she is an instructor at the school right. that you had attended.
1: Right. I, If you would have told me 10 years ago that I would be working with her, that would have blown my mind. <laughs> because I looked up to Genevieve and, and Brian and, and the teachers. At, I mean, they were just like gods. I couldn't even imagine that people were able to share such complex ideas and I'm like I'm 14 you want (laughs) to share this with me wow I felt so special and like someone wants to expand my mind I can't even believe this I don't (laughs) that didn't go away though I mean I still like I talk to Brian and Genevieve every day and I it took me a while to get like comfortable with just kind of being me around them not that I wasn't but I, I felt for a really long time um, very aware of what people thought of me like I was saying when I was in high school and younger and stuff and, and so like coming out of that and hang, like being around them as people um, it's been way cool because they're cool people yeah. I always knew they were cool people but it's just like well, now I don't have to now I don't need to like sit still because I get my daily five or whatever right. we didn't even have those back then oh, okay. just so you know but, <laughs> okay. but it's, it's that sort of concept I'm just making work with them <laughs> and
0: you work at the school now as well I do.
1: yes I'm the executive assistant to Callie Jacobs who is the director of the school or the superintendent it's we're our own district charter schools are weird like that
0: what is it what is it like knowing that students look up to you in much the same way that you looked up to your teachers and administrators do you think about that
1: do you think that they do?
0: Absolutely. Really? Absolutely. I'm
1: so nomadic. I nobody ever really sees me. I, I feel like <laughs> the only time that students see me is when somebody's projector isn't working. And, and they like call this mysterious girl with short hair that like also has the same name as the woman that works at the front desk and then she comes in and like maybe says some offhanded comment to whomever the teacher was and then leaves again. <laughs> so I don't I don't know if this I mean I okay, I do Let's rephrase all of that. Actually, I mean, I stand by that. I do, for the majority (laughs) of kids. But there are... I do know some students at the school, and I don't know that they look up to me. I mean, I think they they know the work that I'm doing, because Genevieve's vocal about it, and I probably would be if I talked to them more. I'm sad about that. I want to be around the students more. I do. There's something that's really... I'm sure you'd agree, like, therapeutic about doing work and even just like, seeing other people do work. So when I'm in hmm. that office and I'm just doing admin stuff, it gets lonely, and hmm. I, I want to be able to interact with people and see them asking those questions that are so important. Hmm. I had a hard time even thinking about coming doing this because I don't talk about myself very much. So it's hard for me to think that anyone would be, like, looking up to me as a... I don't know. I try to present a pretty okay image on the world. I'm very careful about what I post on social media because no, I'm never it. sure probably who's good watching. Practice.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm much the same way. I'm much the same way. That being said, there's yeah. also like pictures of me half naked in the desert hugging trees on social media. So, Are they tasteful? I think so.
1: Okay, then that's fine. I think so. Yeah, I think that's the difference. I mean, if, you, <laughs> if it's tasteful.
0: Yeah. Um, how, how did you come back around to SBCPA in the first place?
1: I was... I left Bedlam in April of
0: 2015.
1: What? Candidly, the culture was not... Well, honestly, I wasn't getting paid. And I was there for a while without getting paid. And then they stopped paying the staff, too, and then it was like... There were so many bills and um, all that stuff I was talking about before, like with, with restructuring the space and then the push to get it open at the right time to coincide with the light rail. I think that was a huge factor in how everything else came to play at the space. And while we, we had a pretty successful season in the time that I was there, it was that the neighborhood itself wasn't we weren't getting enough traffic in the right way to make enough money to put back into the space and all of the debt and all of the day-to-day expenses Um, so when, I don't know, I was there for a while after I stopped getting paid because it's hard to leave somewhere like that where it's like this is what I want to be doing. I want to be helping make this work happen, but I also want somewhere to live and something to eat. And yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was really, really, really hard to leave.
0: Was that a, a prolonged sort of decision? God, yeah. yeah. Oh
1: my God, I knew I. I mean, there were other people that were leaving for probably since I g- had gotten there that made me question just stable the whole thing could be there were certain decisions made that I didn't agree with like money that was allocated to different places and so I never it was like a forgive but don't forget sort of thing and it did happen over time pretty gradually I held on for I wanted to be there as long as I could and because I loved those people so much they called me mom which was at first I really hated because it's like i don't know freudian or weird or something but <laughs> i realized why they did and it was because there was this i just felt like that i wanted to nurture that space and what it was and what i saw i saw it be for the people that performed for the people that were in the audience and sometimes for the people that not sometimes but for the people that worked there too and mm. yeah i i started thinking about it for months before I had left. And then even after I had left, I'd stayed on in a small capacity for a little while. Okay. And then I, I, like, officially was gone by the time summer came around.
0: Hmm.
1: I started serving again. Because I didn't know what else I wanted to do, and I... I, You know how Genevieve had talked to me earlier that year about, like, her her project? So I was like, well, why don't I why don't I maybe start doing that? And, like, think about, like, being involved with her in that. And I don't have to do... It doesn't all have to be one thing. Like, I I know plenty of people that work in the service industry and then do their, their art stuff on the other side. Why wasn't I doing that? I should just be doing that. I can just do that for a little while. And so I just expected to be, like, bartending and working with Genevieve. And then... And which was great because it freed up my time. I got to go to Oregon with my boyfriend um, and I'd never been there before. And so we went to Multnomah Falls and Crater Lake and it was just like summer. Yes, doing. And I'm like, I can do this. Well, I'm just going to travel more and I don't need to be tied down to any particular place. And I was on vacation and Brian called me and left me a voicemail like, hey, I don't know what you're doing this year, but. Yeah, we could use some admin help at the school you want to come in and talk about what we need and i was like yeah i mean i get back in like a week or whatever and i'll i'll come in i thought it was a job interview so i came all dressed up and like with my resume and, and everybody's in jeans because it's the summer yeah and i go into Callie's office and she's like hi you look so nice and we just we talked because she used to be my science teacher So I've known her for years, but it was like a call me Callie, not Miss Bird kind of thing. (laughs) Because it was weird to go back there with everybody, and then she said, we have this position open, I don't know what you're up to, and you want to work here for me? And I was like, yeah, you're great. I mean, she's great. She really is. She's She's got it together, and I she is a very awesome role model there i've worked with some really 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 great women i feel very fortunate that a lot of my bosses have been women um at the exhibit spot that i worked at there's this awesome woman amy that like birthed the whole thing from the ground and like made it what it is and and callie like she's on her dissertation right now she's not screwing around she's totally invested in this and i think it's It's phenomenal, because those kind of people drive me. And so, of course, I wanted to be in an environment where I was around more of that. Hmm. So I said yes, and it turned out to be a way bigger job than I was thinking it was going to be. I mean, I don't really know what I thought I was going to be doing, but then I started running all the testing, and...
0: (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So So just... It's
1: it's not as much art stuff. It's a lot more... It's a lot more with, like, the board, which is great, because I've never... Uh, I've never really worked closely with a board of directors before so to see kind of how all of the procedural things and the policies come into play that's really fascinating for me I'm I'm happy that I've gotten because that all of that stuff coordinate like directly correlates to what Genevieve and I are doing and you know one day when I want to go off and start another company those are things that will I can carry with me Always, And I get to be right here at the school. Yeah. And I have people who apparently look up to me that I walk through the halls with. So it's just such a good feeling to be there. And I knew that's always been there. That will never go away. That was so there when I was in school there. And I wanted that again.
0: It's really beautiful that you are in two positions that seem to both fuel each other. Mm -hmm. Because at school, you're being... Um, exposed and exposed to and given this work that then applies to the work that you're doing with a company and you know, you're working with Genevieve in the company and that brings certain attitudes and, and mindsets back to the work that you do at the school to touch on mentorship what, what do you think people should look for in a mentor young people especially based on, on the mentors that you've had in your own life
1: I never sought out my mentors; they kind of found me. I don't think that's true for everyone, though. Were it really depends on what what are you What are you doing? Like, who are you looking? For?
0: But were there recurring qualities in those people? If you If you think back over the years, yeah,
1: they're all good listeners. Good sure. listeners, absolutely. Um, it's hard to get. I guess when I was younger, for sure. Uh, I didn't always know if I was being taken seriously, but those people were the people that, because they were good listeners, I knew they were invested in what I had to say. Hmm. I didn't always feel that with other adults.
0: Yeah. Sense. Oh, yeah.
1: Um, they were people that were looking out for my well-being. So, like, I, I feel like I didn't necessarily choose these people, but they knew there was—I mean, I feel like everyone has these people in their lives. They watch you. In a way, they they're interested in in the way that you do things, or maybe I don't know. I've really, never really ever talked to any of them. About. There's this wonderful woman that was a theater and uh, vocal director at my my junior high. She's phenomenal, Margot Olson, and her sons do work around the cities here. I'm sure she's retired now. Uh, but I feel like in I never actually like asked her to be my mentor, but she was. Because she saw me grow up, essentially, and she had interest in what I was doing, and and was in some way um, just like quietly rooting for me to succeed. Which I, every teacher does that with their students, but I think I don't know that I ever looked for these people. This is a really tough question. <laughs>
0: No, that, that's, a, that's a great answer, though. Someone that listens to you and is invested. Because I don't know that every teacher feels that. You know, some well, people are there hope. because they have I to mean, be. Yeah.
1: Nobody has to be anywhere. That's another thing hmm. that you should remember. Because I'm trying to remind myself. Nobody has to do anything. Nobody needs to be anywhere. There's always, like, an alternate choice. Uh, I heard this story about the, the, this uh, woman that I, I know told me. Is, she didn't really realize. Her friend had, like, put a down payment on a house. Uh-huh. And they bought the house and they were at the house for like a week and she was like I don't like it here. And so they they left and sold the house. And it didn't even occur to me that someone could do that.
0: They were only there for a week.
1: But she didn't she knew it didn't fit so the the question was do I stay here like I know it's going to cost us a lot more money there's a lot more risk in us leaving but the risk in us staying and being unhappy in this house for 25 years 35 years is greater Hmm. so why wouldn't we go and i it's like oh my god that's such a huge investment to make but there's always a way around something it's just about being able to open your mind and find a different path nobody has to do anything other than like breathe and eat like basically we don't we're not we don't have to. We're not forced to. Nobody's like holding a gun to our head and saying, go to high school. But you have that drive. Those, those are the things that will get you to the right places.
0: There's always choice. Yeah. There's always choice. And uh, I know we're coming up on the end of our hour. but. <laughs> Is there any place that people can reach you on social media? Does they want to <laughs> pose any, any more questions? Yeah, or? I suppose
1: I'm pretty active on Twitter. If yeah? you want to find me? What's
0: that? What's your, what's <laughs>
1: my handle? <Yeah. laughs> it's what a mish.
0: What W
1: H A T A M I S H?
0: All right. <laughs> and, and then we've got the, uh, the Redbird website. Oh, I yeah. Can link uh, that all up. Yep,
1: Redbird theater, and that's theater, R E at the end, dot com. Uh, you can actually just type in redbirdtheater.org, still so with the R E, and it'll lead you right to that site. No?
0: Number one. Look at that.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, thanks for taking the time. <laughs> Thank you, James. It's been a blast. <laughs> Goodness gracious. That's episode 5. Be sure to find Michelle on the Twitters. Show her some support. Also go to the Red Bird Feeder website. Both of those links and more are in the show notes to this episode. Make sure to find and subscribe to Chance by Chance on iTunes. Give me a like on SoundCloud, on Facebook. And share this with a friend, a colleague, Santa, when you see him. Stay tuned. There's going to be some cool news coming out in the next week. And of course more awesome episodes. Until then, thank you for listening.